phone calls are expensive. You want to you wanna try to get people to use other uh, ways of, of, uh, of approaching us. Yes. And uh, that could be done by, uh, in different ways. Mm. And, but the, 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 the fundamental piece that you need to be able to do is to then transcribe the voice across the Nordic languages. Mm. Right? Or do you? That's, that's another question. Okay, oh, that cool. could be, that's an interesting, uh, let, let's explore mm. that one. But, uh, but to, to be able to understand what the customers are telling us, because yes. we, we, we have lots of insights there, but we can't access them, right? We can't access them. You, you either want to, you want to, you want, you would like to understand, you know, what did the customer talk to us about during last year? The products, the offerings, the services, the experiences, and all that stuff. So that, that's a huge wealth of insights that are kind of sitting there, but we can't really leverage it, right? So that's one part of it. The other part of it is, of course, to, to in real time, be able to route customers in the best way. Customers that call us, if you're able to pick up what they're talking about, what their needs are, then you, you will be able to direct them to an agent if that's the most suitable thing or push them to the chatbot or push them to some, some video advising uh, utility or push them to some other self-service uh, and, 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 and solve the problem faster by themselves instead of to have, having to wait in a, in a phone line, for example, right? So, and then once you, of course, are able to do this real-time stuff, then you can also leverage another, other, you know, AI technologies or augmented services to, to solve the problem end to end. And what are you doing right now in terms of voice? So are you, are you exploring it? Are you testing it? Are you poking it? Do you have sessions on it? So what is the agenda like today and tomorrow on, or this week or this month, so to speak? I, I mean, I, th I think that we're doing a number of different things uh, and, and we're seeing, especially from companies in English speaking countries that are on cloud, mm -hmm. what what they're able to do, right? Mm. So we, we, so, so that's one thing for the business to buy into the fact that yes, this is the right thing to do. Mm. So that's one thing we do. Uh, another thing we're doing that, that we are exploring and doing some, I don't like to do POCs actually. Uh, we can come back and talk we about can that. We can come back and talk about that. I actually was, I took part in a, in an article in, in uh, Howard Business Review on this particular topic, kill the, kill the um, POCs, right? Now, but, now we need to take this to opening, kill the POCs, yeah. a good opening. So, yeah. so then we run with it a little bit more. Yeah. I love that, by the way. <laughs> now, you want me to explore on that one or should we go back no, to that No, one? not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> we come back. I but, uh, wrote it up as a future topic. Yeah, so okay, cool. Um, no, but, uh, but um, uh, so we're also exploring what is the, what is the strategic way to go here? Mm. You know, we think that we all going to end up in the cloud eventually, right? Mm -hmm. Even in Sweden, even mm -hmm. the banks. And we see, we, of course, we are already on the cloud in some respect and, and, and some, are, some, some of our competitors are also, and we know that they are moving in there. But meanwhile, we also want to do stuff because we're, we're talking about sensitive data here, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about really sensitive data, potentially. Mm -hmm. Customers can talk about, you know, they are sick or they, you know, the relatives are sick or something like that. So you need to be careful about this data. Yeah. So um, we're also then exploring ways to potentially uh, at least in the short term, 
solve the transcription problem without having to to go to cloud necessarily. And why 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 do you why do you link uh, this type of AI with cloud necessarily? I I, I agree with you, but what's your uh, why why do you think they're so connected? What's Basically the problem the ability with to scale? Okay, because if you try to do this uh, on prem, it's a lot of headache infrastructure wise. Or well, anything anything that needs to be developed, you know, from scratch, is takes longer time than to leverage something that has already been at least uh, as a as a platform that there are that you can leverage or even better if you have SaaS solutions that you can also you know you be even faster mm-hmm. uh, and uh, utilizing the components that are sitting on these clouds to put together these things faster um there are there there is not uh, i think that to some extent uh, maybe the cloud is is a bit hyped because i think there's also a lot of challenges coming with that so it's not like everything going to be sold with cloud but uh, it will be once you are able to handle that it will be faster and and uh, and you will be more efficient and of course and maybe more most importantly you will be more flexible yeah and you will be more yeah. more sort of modularized but 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 voice um this is one major topic you know how can how mm. can we de- deal with that mm. and how how is this discussed on on executive level how is this understood as a major opportunity has 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 this conversation reached the very top uh i would say so yes because it's very related to the topic of uh customer experience yeah which is at the top that is for top, sure that's clearly a top of the agenda yeah and clearly we are working uh, everybody has a relationship with the bank on the phone for sure mm. We have 10, 11 million phone calls per year. So 10, 11 million phone calls. That's mm. the amount of data which we want to understand the insights mm. of. Mm. And the core use case is to better understand, but also route. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow. okay, so in short, we can summarize that you, you have a lot of data that comes in the form of voice. And we had an, have basically an unlocked potential there that we haven't really started tapping into in mm. some way, right? But yeah. the, you would like to really start walking that path, so so to speak, right? Yeah. Yes. And and you want to start faster by doing it, given the on-prem paradigm. But you think long term, this is going to be unlocked even more with the cloud paradigm. I guess you can take you can go three ways. Maybe you mm-hmm. can go all in on cloud and mm-hmm. say you know one cloud to rule them all. Mm-hmm. You know that's one way. One ring to rule them all, right? <laughs> Um, it's kind of a, 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 you know, maybe the architect's wet dream, right? You just go in very sort of clean, um, but that will take time. Uh, the other way you can say, you say, well, you know, the business can go out and do whatever they want. They can solve the problem that they have by going to some vendor and, and solve the problem. And that might be a quick, quicker thing for the particular business unit, but it will potentially fragment. Very fragmented, right? And, yeah. and potentially you lose some of the synergies and and it might be more expensive. Mm. Uh, but then there is some kind of hybrid solution where you where you may leverage some cloud components uh, and combine that with some some uh, or your own components to cater for this uh, sensitivity of data issue yeah. and also to get into understanding what this is about, right? Yes. Which is very important. Yes. The, the problem in general, like, is that 
we want to jump into these AI solutions uh, because they are so nice on the GUI level, but we we don't really understand how they work underneath, and that's dangerous. So, so I, I believe this hybrid solution is is maybe the best way to go for for us, and, and I think uh, to 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 be able to get some initial value fast mm-hmm. and make the learnings, yeah, and then. And then, then in the long term, you will you will fly. Go, we fly. You will fly, right? Uh, like an airplane. Yeah, like an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> but before we go any further, now let's start with an introduction of Matthias Thras. Mm. And uh, we want to hear your st- story. Uh, who is Matthias, and what do you do, and what has shaped you, so to speak? What, what sort of anecdotes and, and and career path or experiences do you want to highlight? Who is Matthias? So Matthias Fros, he is a guy that um, <clears throat> started out his uh, his uh, career in uh, management consulting. So he came back from the U.S. in the '90s after four years on a tennis scholarship. So you're a te- well, actually we start like a tennis guy now, right? Yeah, I was I was a tennis player. Yeah, yeah, well, still well, am, but not very much. Did you want, did you have any sort of uh, ambition? Join the tour. Yeah, I mean, when I was when I was uh, when I was younger, when I was you know sixteen, I was pretty uh, pretty good, pretty good. With, well, you know, what is that? Pretty good. What's that all about? You know, top I was 10, top fifteen. Yeah, 20? in in the country, yes. Uh-huh. Mm. So, um, so I assume you had a scholarship in tennis in the US. Yes, in the US. yes. So, so by Swedish standards, by by the time I was eighteen, I was average. <laughs> but but in the US, you know, this was in the you know late eighties, early nineties, right? Sweden was like very good. in Davis Cup final every year. Amazing. Yeah. So it was like if you were a Swede and you were a tennis player, you know, there was no problem to go to US and get a scholarship. <laughs> so that's you, what I did. You were riding on Erdberg and Vilander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I took advantage of that, uh, the, the Swedish tennis brand. Um, so I spent four years there. I came back, finished off my studies in stock in Gothenburg School of Economics. And uh, in uh, uh, my, I majored in uh, uh, financial economics. So I have a master's in in in, uh, in finance, and then started working as a management consulting. Because that's what what, what you did. Yeah. And, and and what type of management consulting? Well, it was it was with uh, it was called Anderson Consulting back then. Anderson. Later turned into Accenture. Uh, so it was uh, it was it looked very differently then. But it was I would say it was in the intersection between strategy and process. So, uh, so operationalized strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not not a pure strategist, not a pure process guy, but in the in the middle there. So it worked, but mostly on the CFO related agenda. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of outsourcing, shared services, mm-hmm. you know, lean the the operating model stuff. Um, uh, uh, yeah, all that stuff, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is. It's, it's an important part of my story because the the way you were driving change back then, this is then, you know, 20 years ago mm-hmm. uh, or 15 years ago, was very centered around processes, mm-hmm. process optimization, mm-hmm. you know, incremental improvements, 10%, 20%, uh, getting the labor arbitrage for, for moving offshore, uh, you know, Internet was starting to happening, so there was like you put an E in front of everything, if you remember. E-commerce, uh, e-business, e-finance, yeah, everything e-logistics. was E. <laughs> um, 
and uh, and that was uh, so I worked mainly I, I worked always in large corporates mm-hmm. but across all industries mm. uh, so it, I worked across I would say also the uh, uh, the 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 um, public service sector mm. and and uh, you know yeah across all industries mainly you know the the typical three to six maybe sometimes 12 24 months mm. and uh, so so that was that was a lot of fun it was it was usually um, also you learned a lot of course but after so but after by 2010 or so I I thought I decided at you know running large scale programs, which is how you become a successful partner with these firms. It was not my thing. Mm. So, and I also wanted to have a real job. <laughs> a so real I, job, I love that. Yeah. So, so I decided I won't have a real job. So I, I, and at that time, I worked for Nodea as a, in one of their programs from Accenture, and I got um, I got lured over by by the Swedish Life Company. Mm. Uh, then so I started as a CFO for the Swedish life company mm. which was quite different from my previous experience but it was uh, it was and I stayed there for about three to four years and what was the biggest change from being a consultant to being in the line so to speak a CFO it was the the uh, the uh, the revelation or the insights of that there's just a lot of uh the time to think about how you can do things better is quite limited, right? You have you, you, your, your time to, uh, you don't have that much time to analyze these things, but you, uh, and you also have to manage people. Manage people, the operations is mm. eating me up. So you yeah. don't really have the redundancy yeah. to think uh, smart and big mm. and change management mm. or ch- or process change mm. or I- improvement. Yeah. And as a CFO, of course, you are very bound by the periodic reporting. Yeah, periodic periodic report. So I knew what I was going to do yeah. in, you know, yeah. you, months. You, you, you knew what days in the month that yeah. way you're not going to mm. speak so much at mm. <laughs> with your exactly. wife. <laughs> so, so, so that was great. But when I started there in, in, it was, it was kind of a growth role. We were going to grow the company, but then there was a bunch of regulations coming in. So it became more and more about compliance and, and risk management. And, uh, and that is not really me. So I, I, um, I, uh, I decided to go back to consulting you could say, but in the context of Nodea. So I- So what, what, what organization was that that was doing that? So there was in, in the wealth management part of the bank. So you have retail banking, you have business banking, wholesale banking and wealth management. And mm-hmm. in wealth management, you have asset management and you have life and pension. Mm-hmm. So I started in life and pension to drive change, change. initiatives. And, w- and what is change? So for example, the first one of the first cases I got to work on was to, to see what kind of roles we could move down to our uh, near shore in Poland, right? To get the wage arbitrage, because mm-hmm. that's what you did to save cost. So we start, I started to look into that and, and, and did the, 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 use, the, the business case and, and the, the transition plans and all that stuff. And, and, but at that time, this was maybe the f- around 2015, mm. there was this thing called robotics mm. that started to emerge. <laughs> RPA, RPA. Where you could be careful now. Anders, Anders always gets rashes when we say RPA. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to hear you talk about yeah. this later. But I think that we share the same view on it. Uh, but at this time, <laughs> it was like so. You can have this script move around multiple systems, uh, just as a human, 
and you can you can you can download a license and all of a sudden you have the equivalent of 10 FTEs at the cost of less than half an FTE. Mm. So if you, if you, and, and, and the, the scope of the work that a, that a robot can do is almost 100% overlapping with the kind of stuff that you would move to a nearshore center. Yeah. Rule-based, the well-documented, the yeah. stable, you know. I remember this conversation in, in, in when I was in Vattenfall and it was a little bit like, we were down in the sort of offshore, nearshore BPO mm. discussion. We, we have gone too far and mm. I'm like, w- do you want to really offshore to a person mm. when you can offshore to a robot? Mm. If, you know, n- not solving the underlying problem, but solving the same problem as mm. labor arbitrage. Mm. So w- what we realized then was that, because what I did was I said that, you know, why should we move any people anywhere? Because it takes time, it's expensive when we can do this instead. So that was when I was then. And then, and then we, I, we, we went around to the different countries and we asked the CEOs, you know what, if you had these robots, what would you, what kind of problems would you like to solve? And what, what we realized then was that uh, you can, regardless of what your key KPIs are, if it's cost compliance, uh, transformation, or if it's uh, speed, you can, you can use this tool Mm. to accomplish that to some extent, which was very interesting, right? Because in Denmark, they were in the middle of an IT transformation. They built these models, but they were not integrated and it took longer time than expected. So then we could use the robots temporarily to integrate those mm. modules, right? Or you can actually release uh, a, a customer and use an app and build the backward integration with these robots while you were developing. So essentially it's, it's such a massive landscape and, and systems need to talk to each other. And mm. it's actually quite a lot of manual stuff in between systems in a large enterprise. Is that one of the key things? Or yeah, um, especially if you're in the, in this uh, replatforming that they yes. were in, right? So they, 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 they basically, they wanted to use robots to get some of these gains earlier. Than w- what the whole platform Waiting could. for the end solution. Yeah. yeah. So that was one case. And then in, in, in some other country, there was like, they needed to take down some people in call, in, in the customer call center and, and so on. So that's, so you had some very clear drivers. Yes, very clear drivers. And, and, and the, the revelation, I think, for me was then that, hmm, here is a technology that can make us move much faster. And it's a, it's a multi-purpose technology. Mm. It can be applied anywhere in the organization, right? Mm. Which, was, which was interesting because it has, before that, had, it, it always was about each function fixing their own problems with, with a sort of a proprietary solution. Mm. So that was, uh, that was the first time I was, I, I really got in, in, intrigued by that because all the stuff that I've been doing up until then uh, c- came into a new light and how you can use uh-huh. new technology. Yeah. And, and when was this uh, roughly? 15, 16. 15, 16. And, and what happens or wh- what was the progression after that within the company, so to speak? So then, then the progression was that we, we, um, we scaled this capability up. Mm-hmm. And, and we, uh, we applied it to, uh, we found these quick wins, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and that, that, that took quite a while because, and that's back to the, the way of thinking about these new tools, right? Mm-hmm. What is a robot? How do you define a robot? How do you ref- define a robot, by yeah. the way? I mean, what kind of, when you, when you recruit someone and you give that person access rights, 
you give them a PC and you give that person like access to systems. <clears throat> do you give, do you have, does the robot have the same profile? So you can actually <coughs> uh, give this, you know, give, should you be able to give the same access rights to a robot? Because then it can do exactly the same thing as, as I can do. Um, so when we, when we talked about the definition of robot, it would define it as, you know, what kind of access profile should it have? But and, you're and still speaking about software robots, which is, hmm? in in my view, a bit of a conflict in terms. Or hmm. I mean, in, in robot, in some way, at least according hmm. to some people, is actually a physical hmm. manifestation of something. Hmm. But there are certainly a lot of people that use robot in terms of software bots. But, um, and this mm. is clearly software robots, of course. This is uh, software automation. Yeah, and, and 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 to be a little bit more. Maybe some of our listeners is not really uh, using this a lot. So how does a software robot work? What is the essential premise? How does it work in principle? The, the essential premise is if you think about, I'm old enough to to uh, have worked a lot with uh, macros mm -hmm. in the 90s. Excel macros. Yeah. So you can, you remember you can. We still, still use it. They're still useful. Is that, I think a lot of people still use that, right? I think so too. So, so you use, and what you can do there, you have the spreadsheet and you can press record and you can do, move stuff across different spreadsheets and you stop and then it would do that thing. Uh, the, 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 um, the code will do, will do perform these actions, right? Mm -hmm. But if you move the cell of you and then it broke, but you know, as long as you kept it the same and, and robots is kind of the same, but it just spans across multiple applications. Yeah. So, because sometimes I think this is a misconception, uh, you know, what is data, what is AI, you know, how do we really rethink stuff and rebuild stuff from, from scratch, uh, properly. And how do we now have another technology, which is super useful, mm. but has really, you know, you put it on top as a shell or something, which is without changing the underlying uh, infrastructure or data or applications, you basically record what a human is doing so someone can replace it mm. in a, yeah. And, and this has a sim simplicity and benefits, but you could also argue you're not uh, fixing the underlying fundamental data. Yeah. Structures. So that was the, 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 the top argument from the CIOs, right? You, you, you're just hiding the yeah. underlying problems. And uh, to some extent that is true. And, 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 and so I think it's then what it do you have any advice how to use robots and how to not use software robots? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think robots is a great stepping stone into the new. So I think for us, it was a great stepping stone in understanding that now this technology that, <coughs> that can move across applications and, and functions and, and domains. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, so to, to, to solve problems now, we can, we need to, we can apply a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm. The problem with robots, it's same as with AI, it's, it becomes a distraction because we call it robots. Mm. Uh, and um, uh, it becomes hyped and fancier than it really yeah, is. Yeah, and we, we come with like, you know, if you have a toolbox and you only have a screwdriver, you know, you can only do one thing, yeah. which is what mm. a robot is. Mm -hmm. So the problem I think that many are facing is that they, they are starting with the, with a tool and then they go out and see what can they fix with this tool. This right? is the wrong way around. Exactly. So the right way around flipping. The right way around is it, okay. Now the, the right way is to say, okay, here is a end-to-end -end process. Mm -hmm. This is the output we want to get to. Yeah. 
how do we how do we make that instant? Yeah, now that's a, that's a good question. Okay, right? so now let's park a super cool topic of rethinking how we define problems, rethinking innovation, mm. and and uh, I guess you're ultra already onto it with your. We have we've grown up with process incremental type innovation, and now all of a sudden with the, with a very vast technology toolbox, mm. there is op- opportunities to rethink completely. But let's keep park that a little bit. So, but I, um, so now, what's the what's the last path in your career that sort yeah. of ends you up where you are today? Mm. So then, so then after the robotics thing, I I what's the next thing, right? So the next thing was okay. What if we can um, chatbots came into the picture in. So everybody was talking about robotics. All the consultants started to call about robotics in in you know sixteen seventeen. That was, that was going to change the world. And then in eighteen they start talk calling about chatbots mm. because now that was going to change the world. This is hype cycles. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. <laughs> so clear. So I don't know if you remember 17, you know, all the banks and you know, other companies were talking about these chatbots now changing, changing the world. And, but th- th- that came into the picture. So we actually started our journey in 17. Uh, we run Nova, uh, Nordea virtual agent. Is what it's short for. So that we, which is also very much a general purpose technology that you can use then to um, interact with people. Yeah. Was it something you built or something you, it's like vendor based? We don't <coughs> need to talk about the vendor, but it was mm. vendor based or well, homegrown? Yeah. No, we, we did a short uh, uh, market scan back in late 16. Mm-hmm. The Microsoft, the IPsoft, mm-hmm. the uh, you know the uh, so the different chatbots yeah, uh, yeah. ways of get, get technologies yeah, yeah. yeah and then we also looked at this one small norwegian company um with uh and and we actually picked that one in our initial launch mm. which one was that if you may name it uh it, they're called boost uh-huh. yeah boost.ai and what, what is the, could you elaborate a little bit about the on underlying technology is it business rules is how, how you know how how is it functioning without going into whatever technical well, you know, you I couldn't go into it in detail if you asked me, but, <laughs> but it, it's basically, this is where, I mean, this is when I, where I think there's a combination of linguistic models mm-hmm. and deep learning models, basically, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that are able to match then your intent with a question. Mm-hmm. But back then it was, it was quite manual, right? You manually entered your intents and the, Answers. So you 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 build up some sort of bank manually yes. of uh, most commonly asked questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so FAQ style. Yeah, if yeah. this FAQ comes up, we mm. have this answer for you. Mm. Mm. So now that is that is differently, but that's what is what, what that was back now then. back then. That's how it was done. Okay, yeah. So if you would you say it's actually different today? That would be an interesting answer. AC chatbots have okay, been really. Yeah, please continue. It's, it's an interesting discussion. Um, so what do you think? Uh, how far has chatbots evolved today? Well, it depends on what you mean. Uh, in terms of how they are being applied in companies, I think that we're, st- we were, we're, quite, we're quite stuck where we were back then. Mm. Because what happened was that, that just as with robotics, this became a hype and everybody got a chatbot and um, they were going to change the world, but it never happened, right? And again, why it didn't happen? It was because... It's another screwdriver. Yeah. Or? Uh, yeah. And it, it, it becomes what we make of it, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all about the people. 
So, so I think then uh, right now, I think now chatbots maybe have a, maybe a, even a poor reputation because they all suck more or less, right? <laughs> and, yes. and, and we, we kind of, we hide them somewhere down in the, uh, now I'm talking generally. So you yeah. think the the the, 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 the hype has died in twenty twenty? Yeah, I think that there's going to be a revival there? now because they they have they have improved. I mean, in terms of technology, it has improved, yes. right? The way you are now able to, because they are now able to self learn much more, right? They can they can if you give them a bunch of of of, uh, of chat logs, they can build uh, uh, hierarchies and 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 I think that we have come to the also the conclusion that we need in order to make them work we also need to integrate them much more and and see them much more as a strategic level than just like a tool on the side so in terms of uh, uh, of the technology yes nlp has also evolved right so they can do more they can interpret more now unstructured data uh, yeah. analytics is, is better so so the they 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 can potentially be much stronger but i think um, and i, I hope and I think that we will see that now in the next, you know, couple of years, how they are actually now starting to get. Yeah. Now, you could definitely use technology for this. Uh, I wonder what, what is the foundation for it? If it's the chatbot is the foundation or if it's something else. Because but, to but have let, me, let me be a bit of a negative person here. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we get so many requests also for, you know, building chatbots uh, in, in this way and that way. And usually the user experience is really poor because they replace humans and people and especially customers that call in if you do used for customer service they won't speak to humans and and they have an experience when speaking to a computer that is very poor um but then there are if you look at research you know a number of very interesting things you know i think google and facebook have this kind of nina and they have this blender assistant and they can really generate completely novel kind of answers but it's far away from what the commercial systems today can do i would argue and i would love to hear your story about this one of the first chatbots was this elisa system i think it back 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 in 1960s or something and it was this um system for uh, psychological uh, therapists basically mm. and uh, they use this kind of um, uh, type of technique i think it's called like a rogerian type of therapist uh, technique where you basically if you if you ask me a question i just rephrase it and ask the question back to you and you have to answer your own question so it's, it's very of course rule-based very very simplistic doesn't understand anything about the meaning but it actually worked back in 1960s mm. in, in having some kind of conversation, even though it was no intelligence at all, mm. more or less, mm. in that system. And I would argue that the chatbots of today, even if they have intent and entities and action that you can try to rule-based program, are not that different from ELISA back in 1964. Would you agree? Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know ELISA, so I can't really... Uh, benchmark um so i i mean in terms of you know word error rate or whatever you know uh, the 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 chatbots now are you know co quite good i mean mm -hmm. but i don't know what the word error rate of eliza was no, but your point here is mm -hmm. a little bit that it's well, it's, like, still, it's very much a template-based kind of system. So mm. you have slot filling. Basically, you have a set of questions. Mm. They can potentially fill in some words depending on you know some facts that they can input and, into and it. What, but and it's and still the wrong, very much what's wrong with that? 
it's, it's very rule-based and it's not intelligent and it doesn't do uh, anything close to what a human would And do. what is the next step? Or what could be done differently? I mean, there are some really cool, you know, recent advances like Mena and like Blender and from Google and Facebook. And, and these type of systems really, you can ask them more or less anything and they don't fill in a template. And what's the difference in how they operate or work? I mean, it's a super huge AI model with <laughs> billions of parameters in it. And, you know, yeah. it's used the latest type of NLP techniques to generate text and then, you know, yeah. do yeah. a... But, but, but the, the but point is, of course, for a bank, it still needs to have a context and a purpose, right? I mean, like it, it, it has to be answering a question which is relevant to, to solve the problem, the question. And, yeah, so they couldn't take a model like this and train it for the type of questions that you would like to have answered because it's a really advanced technology and it requires a lot of data that you need to have to be to let it ask, actually answer the questions properly mm. that you want it to answer. So mm. you still have to, and I'm guessing now, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but you still have to resort to, to the traditional rule-based intent type of dialogue systems. Um, we have, but please let me know if I'm wrong. No, I, don't, I wouldn't say that they are uh, rule-based mm. anymore. I, th- I would say that they are quite intelligent, but of, but there are. I can't. I can't answer to the underlying technology, to be honest. But but uh, the the way the way we do it now is that we basically feed a bunch of. You know, twenty-five thousand chats in Swedish, uh, chat logs in Swedish, mm-hmm. and the system builds the hierarchy, maybe a thousand intents, yes. and then the AI trainer, which is a new job, right? The AI trainer goes in and um, adjusts those flows, make sure that it's a pleasant conversation, and uh, make sure that it covers these thousand or whatever two thousand intents covers a majority of what you would expect customers to call about and then you um and then basically you um uh you just see what what, what uh, and learn from how the interactions go with the customers and can it self-learn over time yeah it self-learns all, all the time and but it, it is it's always a we don't want to you want we don't want to you know Make the mistake of of Microsoft uh, Twitter uh, robot uh, a few days ago, right? But, <laughs> exactly. but so there's also <laughs> always a human in the loop. That, but the robot can suggest, you know, mm. this this question has not been. I would not been able to ask these questions. Uh, I, you know, but this has been the this has been the conversation flow. I suggest you create something here. But then there's always a human that sort of. Uh, adds the the, the uh, but but the interesting topic here is a little bit like the underlying process of managing this system mm-hmm. and how you are having an AI trainer that tells us something that the technology has evolved how you mm-hmm. work with this mm-hmm. compared to the the rule based approach mm-hmm. five six years ago mm-hmm. or no no but it's not so much about the technology I think the technology was decent five six years ago as well it's not the technology it's about how we apply it that's the problem so it's like how do you, how do you, like you said, you need to sort of, rather than trying to replace the human chat with a, mm. with a, with a chatbot. What's the use case where they sit? I mean, how can you reimagine how you interact with your customers? It's more like a strategic question. And it is like, <clears throat> it is, um, what, and what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, cognitive, whatever microservices can you 
support here to make a great experience, customer experience and to use the data that you get from the interactions with the customers to let that steer the roadmap. So customers usually want to solve a problem. That's always what it comes down to. When they, when they call us or when they chat with us, they want to solve a problem. So that's, that's what we need to focus on. And if we can, if we can, if we can do that, then, then we will be able to drive traffic to this robot. But let's, let's start with this as the main topic after we have concluded the, uh, the inter, uh, you know, the introduction yeah. where you so, are today. So we went into because, chatbots and we've had a long, because, long journey there. But let's really go here first. Yeah. What, how problem solving, and mm. because this, keep that thought, this has changed now the ecosystem thinking of all what we can do, strategically rethink. That's the first uh, line of topic we're going to have when you finish. Mm. So I'll speed up my introduction. <laughs> so, so virtual agents, and then uh, I, I joined uh, the group function that we call group data management office, which basically is uh, where we set the standards for, you know, governance and management of data. And also where we have the uh, AI machine learning capabilities, for example. So, so since, you know, three or so years, three, four years ago, I've been working also both strategically with AI machine learning on like, how do we adopt this new technology? How do we organize? How do we govern? How do we, what problems do we solve? But also then concretely working with the portfolio of use cases uh, related to, to uh, machine learning. And, and, this, and you've been doing, you've been on this level now with working with this. What, what was your role title today, Matthias? My role title is something like uh, AI strategy and acceleration was, was the one I have on LinkedIn still. It used to be my official role title. Now it's more like AI strategy and, and um, uh, data um, um, <laughs> what am I called? AI strategy and um, uh, data lead. Data lead. Yeah. Has, has your role expanded with the data as well? Or was it always there? My mind has expanded at least. <laughs> your, your headache has expanded. No, but it's, it's, it's you know, as you know, the, we're, we're, you know, the AI is still uh, applying machine learning across the group is still what we, what we want to leverage. But it, it's of course very much related to um, uh, making sure the data is consumable and for for these models to to uh, to get to work, we have so much to talk about. Yes, could, could we just you know, I mean, this, that gave a good background about your journey, so to speak. But I think a lot of people would be interested to see how does actually Nordea <coughs> organize around innovation and AI in, in some way. Could, if you could just speak a bit about you know how does your group work? You know, do you have a, a team that works with just AI specifically? Mm. Is it embedded more into different other departments that you have in, in, in mm. Nordea? Or how do you make AI innovation and strategy and acceleration, which mm. I think your title is, mm. work in, in uh, Nordea? Yeah, and is just to be, so let's, we are, we are st let's start that as the new first theme yeah. then. So this yeah. is a, a theme, like how, we, how do we organize AI concretely? How, how does it work in the group? So it's, it's evolving, right? It has been evolving. So now we're entering a new phase where we are establishing this AI hub and spoke model. Mm. So basically we have a, we have a hub, which is, which, and we have an AI strategy, which is very much an a, a business led strategy. So we want to, we want to basically clear the runway for business to be able to leverage these new tools when they're trying to accomplish their strategies. 
So the enablement is one part. Then the execution is another part where we actually do projects in the hub or in the in the group data management office. You know, business come and say, hey, we want a churn model. We want you to develop it for us. Okay, so we do that. Or or they say, we want three, you know, black belt data scientists to work on this NLP thing. Can you, can we, can we take them? And then they take them and they sit in a local execution unit and they develop the solution. So typically, has that something to do with their maturity, if they want you to do it for them or if they want to in, yeah, maturity know, is a a, a, embed them, so to speak. Yeah. So you have the ch- choice of embedding people from you mm. in their team mm. or taking them in and taking or taking the task, the mm. use case into the hub. Mm. Mm. Or, or there's also like a hybrid solution where they say, hey, we want to build this with you guys. Mm. Can we co-create? Mm. So there's a, they're basically the three ways that we can uh, that we can uh, uh, implement the on the execution part. Yeah. So then we have the enabling part, which is about clearing the runway, the infrastructure, tooling, and all that stuff. Then we have the uh, a methodology also. Then we have um, the third thing, which is about advising and training. Basically, so even AI literacy, or for for business, or for experts, yeah. or both. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would say it's it's um, yeah, it's depending on the maturity of the organization, and and you know if there, but if there's like a vendor coming in, you know, these Pelterian guys or whatever, right? And 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 they they are really getting the uh, business uh, excited, and th- then they might call us, the business call us, and say, hey guys, we have this interesting vendor. Can you come and, uh, and join us and, and look under the hood and see you know if this can solve our problem? So that's kind of an advice, example of an advice, or it could be like questionnaires from uh, from the FSA, or it could be like media or whatever, right? Where we have some knowledge that we we will use. Um, and then the last one is really <laughs> the fourth one is really around engagement or engaging people, in, engaging talent. Yeah. Uh, in, internal talent and also trying to be attractive for external ta- talent. So those are the four key, you know, pillars of this this AI hub uh, thinking. Um, Can you just repeat them? Um, you had enabling, you had enabling, advising. executing, uh, advising, and engaging. Cool. But 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 the way it's that that is a quite new way of approaching this hub and spoke is something that is that we are actually now setting up. But, and but where did you come from? So, so how, what was it? You're, this is what you're trying to shape right mm-hmm. now, or you, you're on the journey of shaping that. Yeah. What, 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 what did that evolve from? So there is, there's something you learned, mm. and you did it in some way, and then you learned, and you, now you're shaping a little bit different. So, so what, why are you coming from, and why did you change, or how did you evolve into this direction? I think this is a good learning point. Around. Yeah, I think that it evolved from one perspective around the need of strategy, governance, and methodology. Mm-hmm. That was the initial. The initial that was one push. Yeah. So that needs to sit somewhere. You can because you could say no. You know, you go just as with uh, we talked about this initial uh, voice case where you can have the business go do whatever they yeah. want, right? But so there's there's a need for this common stuff. Mm-hmm. That was one reason, and um, the other reason is just the the the, the other revelation that is it's this AI thing is such a it's such a team sport. Mm. You cannot you cannot drive this from a central unit. No, you can also not drive it from a, some pockets out in the business. No. You need to connect things, so that's why this hub and spoke model is very useful. And um, and you want to concentrate a few more black belts 
centrally that can support the rest. But you also want to have data scientists and, and, and of course, machine engineers and, and, and data engineers and everything out in the company as well or out in the organization as well. So it's a, and, and then we were working out this, how this balance should be, what should be in the spoke, what should be in the hub and that, that is majority and, thing. And, and but that's kind of how it, how it um, came to, to where we are now. But, but I would say that it's, we, we're still also very, uh, there's stuff going on in different places. And also where do you draw the line between, you know, you know, BI and then you have analytics, advanced analytics, and then you have AI. It's not so easy, right? So in, in group data management office, we have all of that stuff. Now, and what about uh, uh, data ops, ML yeah. ops, yeah. data science, advanced mm. analytics? Mm. So uh, to be clear now, um, what does this function report into? Or where do you, uh, so you're on the business side. Or are you part of the IT organization? No, you're not part of the IT organization, I believe. So in group data management office, we have both business and IT. Data sciences. Okay, so group data management has both. Yeah. And this is, is this the same as this total IT supply in Nordea? Or no, do you have so we have group IT as well. So you we have, have group, group IT, IT. Then we have uh, data systems, as we call them, that sits under GDMO, uh, group data management office. So there we have both IT and business. So data science is business, mm -hmm. machine learning engineers is IT. So we have them all in, in one unit. And are they then focusing on a certain type of IT or certain type of systems? If I mean, like if I take the core banking systems, mm. where do they belong? Is, is that some group IT or as an example? Mm. So you have, a, it, could you, could I, I am assuming now you have in some ways your own data and architectural landscape to deal with <laughs> data pipelines, advanced analytics, mm. BI and stuff like that. Mm. Is, that's my assumption. Yeah. Then again, in group IT, they also do yeah. machine learning, and they so 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 it's it's not uh, it's a huge corporation. Yeah, right? so we're we're kind of you know finding coming way. together and finding the way, and uh, and also in the business there are also great uh, people that yep. you know that do machine learning. So, and 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 I think that one 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 thing that I've picked up over the last year is that they are all very interested in in joining some kind of community or tribe where they can grow. Yeah. So, so even so, this thing about centralization and, and and decentralization is not that's not the game anymore. It's about some other thing. It, it's, it's something else. Yeah. But another way to look at this, uh, very interesting, I think, is to understand if you have uh, this te technology or data and AI, and how does it relate to the export to the to the chief uh, C suite, so to speak. So, and, and uh, so how far up and how, you know, who, who in the C-suite is sort of representing you or, or how does it connect to the absolute C, um, yeah, so executive group, board? So we have these business lines, you have yeah. personal banking, you have, yeah. um, business banking, and you have large corporate institutions, yeah. and then you have asset management, and you have group business support. Yeah. So group business support, that's where we sit. Okay, so then basically group VP, group business support, mm. and, on the, and then... GDM, mm, GDMO, MO reports into this. Yeah. Okay, uh, it's interesting, and um, because it it also highlights a, a, another example. Um, do you work on this? Like, is this part of st strategy and growth, or is it part of cost? Like mm. sometimes group IT IT sense is is in the costs is 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 a cost, and then this is maybe something else. Mm. So that's why I'm um, exploring these topics is quite important. I think 
to understand in the context of whatever company you're in. Mm. Uh, are you are you in the right spot? Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think back to this. Um, we, we are really trying to, as I said, we're trying to be more focused now. Mm but also trying to be very business led. That's yes. what the strategy is saying. So we're trying to follow, follow the money, yes. follow the business and, uh, and um, uh, be relevant to them and solve problems for them. Yeah. But it's, of course, in the large corporate it's, it's difficult, right? Because yes. you have a history and you have um, funding models that are budgeting models that might not be perfectly suitable with um, being, Going into the new, so to speak. I have so many agendas to balance. Yeah. So it's not a very, really simple mm. answer in these cases, I guess. No. A- any other organizational topics that is, um, if, 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 if you want to highlight something that is really like a do's and don'ts or really, this is a tip from the coach organizational wise, what you figured out that you're doing in a, uh, in your There's, team. It's one of my favorite topics, yeah. but I, I will, I will, I will not sort of train that uh, subject more and more than saying, I think it, it's, to me, it's been really interesting to, f- to, to think about how, how you organize. So in terms of how do you, um, when I, I, I went to um, Silicon Valley back in 18, mm-hmm. uh, it was, was a, it was a really great trip for me because I just met all these great people and, and, um, and they all talk about what is your 10x and what is your problem that you're solving. And they had just different, you know, wording of, of things. But one thing that, that, that they talk about, and I've been thinking a lot about, is like this edge innovation versus edge innovation, edge innovation versus core innovation. Yeah. So core innovation is that you, you're trying to change from within. You're trying to change the mothership from within. Whereas edge innovation is say, hey, we set up this X company here and we try to disrupt the mothership mm-hmm. and we do things here and we, th- so those are two scopes, right? Mm. So what, what is the right balance? I mean, we've spoken about this a bit before and I think another way to phrase that is saying bottom-up versus top-down innovation. Mm. So you can say bottom-up in terms of these are the processes we have today. Let's see how we can improve them in some mm. way. Do some incremental improvement in terms of efficiency or quality in some way. Mm. And then you can think more top way saying, can we completely change, you know, the way we actually do things more edged style. Mm. And um, how do you think you should balance those? Do you, do you think you should have both? Do you think uh, one of them should be given more focus than they have or what's the proper way to do that? One of the conclusions I made is it's, it's very tied to the company culture. Mm. It needs to fit the culture, company culture. So if you, uh, and I've seen in other companies where they've tried this X thing and it, it, it's, um, the, 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 if, if the company culture in the core is too strong, you do something cool in edge and then you try to flip it back mm. in and the core eats it up alive. Yeah, or it doesn't, you throw it over the fence and it's like, what are we gonna do with this? We yeah. didn't build this. Not or, invented here. <laughs> so I think it's, it's um, you, you might need to try some different, the way I've been doing things, because nobody really asked me to do this robotics thing or this virtual, I just believed in it. So I just found someone. But you found champions in I the core. I found someone that I could get through the tipping point and then 
we did it. And then you see, you prove the value and then more and more people see it. So I think it's, it's very much depending on the company uh, culture. Some companies you might have someone strong leader as saying, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, but even if you do that, I mean, uh, if, even if you take like a forward thinking company like Spotify, it was super hard to do edge type of innovation. Mm. It was super hard mm. to do uh, long-term thinking saying, mm. this is something we potentially will gain some money for in two years mm. and to get that across and actually spend money and invest in that was really hard. Mm. And for companies like banks, uh, I'm not sure, but it can be even harder. I'm mm. not sure. Or what do you think? No, I think it, it comes a little bit back to one thing that's maybe also on the top of the hype cycle now, but this, this purpose driven way of thinking now that many companies, they have these purposes. Now, Apple talked about this now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're going from, uh, from being, having this study or 30 day time horizon to, to be more purpose driven. That helps, I think. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's difficult. Um, maybe especially for, for, for some companies that are on the stock exchange to, to be able to, <clears throat> to do these more long-term things, mm. but I, you know, but it's, what is your personal view on edge versus core innovation? Um, it's very, okay. You said it has a lot to do with culture, right? Mm. So what fits in your culture, you, you need to sort of play with that. So, uh, when is it more suitable or what type of culture is it more suitable to bank on the go from within and disrupt from within? And when is it necessary to go the other way? Do you have any, uh, recipe or thinking around that rules of thumb. Have you, what, 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 I mean, like if you take your own experiences, I think most likely the, the, the edge is, is easier to get started with and get some excitement with, and you can get stuff maybe into production, but to scale it up, uh, I think it's very difficult. I had still haven't seen, I still haven't seen it either. Any, anyone that has succeeded. So. So let me be, so I think it's better to say that if you find, if you, if you, so it's probably better to be close, not closer to the core, not in the core, but closer to the core, but, but within the core have some kind of, um, mandate, some kind of discretionary man mandate and, and, and a set of KPIs that are a little bit different from the KPIs of business as usual. Uh, and, so then you can be closer to the core while being able to actually put some stuff some to into production, not to POCs, but to MVPs, right? But but to do to do evolution MVPs, I like this concept mm. a lot. We talk about this a lot. But what you are saying is that within the core and within the mandates and the PLs and the real sort of core bosses agenda, find the radical teams to do stuff, but they are still connected within. So it's not like in, 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 a, in a large corporation that it's so easy to put something on a, on, on a different agenda, we build this and all of a sudden you're going to drop that in someone else's PL. Mm. You know, that's hard in mm. my opinion. Mm. And the guys who owns that PA and they have their problems, how they want to maximize mm. their balance sheet. Mm. Uh, so is that what you're saying? So you need to still understand the core mechanisms and steering and KPIs of, of the core. And then you need to play well together with that in some sense. Or yeah, I, I think so. I mean, in, in general, in general, um, I, I see it the same. Yeah. And when, and if you need to go 
I mean, like I, I can argue that, okay, we are totally stuck. Let's, let's maybe, maybe even go in some types of organizations where uh, for some reason it, it cannot change. I mean, like we're talking about the Kodak moment, right? Mm. An example, right? Um, so if you need to go edge, may, maybe the whole idea is to spin up the future and, you know, you, you, so you all knop it off, like mm. you, you let that go and then you basically scale from there and it starts cannibalizing. Mm. What do you think about that? edge strategy, not edge to go back in, but edge to see where it, it can take us and it maybe can fly on its own. It's a new unicorn. That could probably work in some companies where you have that uh, culture and you give people incentives to, to, to get there. I think it's completely different incentives that you get, yeah. you need to get people. But I'm more, I'm more in favor of the emerging development model or whatever that you are you're opening up the system uh, and and you you are going from ecosystem to ecosystem right mm. so you you're kind of opening up to working with partners mm. uh, that have made because all the problems that we are facing they've already been solved by someone else mm. right there's not there's not like we don't have that complex. We don't, we're not planning to send people to, you know, Mars. some kind of faraway planet, but our problems are quite um, difficult, but that they are solvable. And it's the, the things we want to do has been solved. So it's about finding, finding those partners that have the solutions and team up with them rather than to try to have some kind of uh, internal unit that is going to do that for us. That when internal unit could be like a, an accelerator and, and do this, um, find these guys. And what do you mean with partner? In, from a banking perspective or from a technology perspective or any kind of... I mean, say, say you have, uh, you know, one big thing for a bank is credit management, credit scoring. So mm -hmm. why don't you, uh, you know, doing credit scoring can be done fast mm -hmm. if you have the data. Mm -hmm. There are companies that are doing this already, uh, and if you if you um, so if you can team up with them and and use their I mean it's basically an API right you could say so if you can or or, or take uh, KYC mm -hmm. know your customer yeah know your customer AML is another topic like this yeah so th there are already already utilities that do these things mm. so instead of trying to figure out how to solve that maybe try to um, uh, use their utility so and, and, and put it in your because you're, you're essentially you start talking about a, a emerging ecosystem thinking in different ways services and data and you know using different services from different partners in order to create value not really trying to do everything yourself yeah I think that's what the fintech the fintech industry and the fintech companies have showed us is that they can solve really they can solve problems in a beautiful way but they often, they often only solve a very narrow problem, right? There was a time, like maybe two, three years ago, when, or four years ago, when everybody was saying, you know, the fintech's going to take over the world and the banks are going to yeah. disappear. But let, let us now move into a new theme, because we have now explored edge innovation and core innovation. And now let's move, continue on this on, but the segue is into... Uh, fin uh, financial industry innovation. So we, we explore different ways how you can innovate. And now we're ending up more concretely 
in what the what is happening in the finance industry. So we can explore fintech. How you what we talk about that? I think this is extremely interesting because mm-hmm. edge and core is one perspective on this. And now let's move into uh, other perspective uh, that is, uh, as you see, relevant for uh, the finance sector. So how, you know, so please continue. You were going into fintech and how how what they have what have they done well and what ha- what are they <laughs> succeeding with and so forth. So yeah. just continue where you were, I guess. Yeah, I think I mean there's a lot of um, great uh, companies, fintech companies that are solving these um, so solving these narrow problems, and and the problem for them is they don't have infrastructure, they don't want to deal with compliance. Um, but we that's what we are good at, mm. uh, and we have infrastructure. We have uh, um, we have a lot of foundation. We also have a lot of customers, mm. by the way. So how? So I think it's we're now moving into more like collaboration. So how can banks and fintechs collaborate? I mean, so so you're saying like, what are we really good at, mm. and what are we? What is really our fit here? Mm. And for some stuff that we try to do, with some of the fintech companies is almost, yeah, it, it's a stretch for us to do it, but for them it's simple. Mm. But vice versa, for them to do some of the stuff that the big bank can do, mm. is a stretch for them. Mm. So how can we now partner up? Mm. More or less, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that if you look into uh, when I think about how to prepare for the future for a large bank, I think it has a lot to do with that. So how you can how you can create this um, or apply this this modular thinking, and you know what should we, where should we differentiate, and what should we then try to build ourselves or maintain ourselves, and where should, what what kind of stuff should we just uh, take from the outside and in in uh, infuse in in uh, in the bank. So, from a strategic point of view, and what you ha- what you're saying now is making total sense. Mm. But you know, to you know, but how do you do that in a large, you know, system landscape where you you know that that sort of um, collaboration will happen on a data and AI level, mm. right? Mm. Or how do you? S- so I, I think the logic is clearly there, yeah. but there are some hurdles. I yeah, guess. I was hoping you could tell me how we can do that. Ah, I can do that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no. But I think that's that's also up to the. That there are different ways, of course. That the the cloud providers they they want to, you know, Google will say you know come and we have this contact center AI platform. You can just take on your contact center and just put it on our platform and it's a platform as a service and you can build it there. And, and, oh, and But I, I don't really think this is a tech problem at all. I think it's how it's a practice and how you apply yeah, tech yeah, yeah. in order to, okay, it, okay, we have built proprietary stuff mm. that is optimized mm. for our silo mm. or our bank mm. or even a part of the bank. Mm. And now we need to flip it that we will need to build data products, data services, mm. microservices, whatever you want to mm. call it internally in the bank, mm. but that is actually consumable and servable to outside players, mm. API based. And then you have the other area. Someone else has a microservice and we can mm. plug that into what we are doing. Mm. So for me, this is a practice mind strategic shift in mm. architecture rather than, oh, it's a tech uh, story. Yeah. It's a practice story. It's a practice story and it brings in like a new mm, prerequisite for the top management in terms yeah. of stacking strategically. Yes. H- how should we, 
what oh, should we what should we do and what yeah, should we not do yeah. and let someone else do and and not have that so that those those are now becoming very strategic yeah decisions to make for a bank that may have used to be decisions taken on a much lower level yeah and do, do you think the fintech as such that phenomenon has put the light on this is this the driver f- to start thinking about ecosystem that it becomes clear that hey oh, oh my god they, they claim they can set up a new bank in 20 minutes mm. you know plug and play mm. it has this is, is this a driver of you to start thinking about that or is it mm. something else no i think the fintechs has shown us what what a great customer experience can look like yeah and that is pushing us and it's it's uh, also uh, it's also um um now then that we, we we will we would like to cooperate with some of them rather than to say that we are competition we mm. we, we cooperate so they are i think they are pushing the boundaries to for 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 larger corporates to see what's what what's the possible what, what kind of what can a great uh, frictionless customer experience look like but but let me be a bit uh, perhaps um, aggressive here then mm. and, and me coming from other tech companies as well and mm. uh, seeing what we can do with data and ai like recommender systems or mm. whatnot why can't you in nordea simply build the recommender systems for saying you as a person seem to have invested in these type of stocks or mm. funds and whatnot here are some similar ones and mm. recommendations for mm. that why, why can't we see a like for me it would be like an obvious thing to do mm. Why hasn't that happened? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I think in part it is related to the uncertainty a little bit uh, on, on what you can do with data and, and can't do with data uh, and what you need consent for and what you don't need consent for. What what kind of governance you need to put on top of your data to be able to do these things. So there's, there's, there's some data maturity there, I think mm. is one, one reason. Is the regulation problem, you think? I mean, still, you know, I think most companies, even companies that do work directly with customer data have mm. really strong, you know, especially with GDPR in place mm. and what we will have in coming mm. years. It's still very much a consent-based type of regulation. Mm. I know the banking sector, of course, have even more extreme regulation mm. in place. Do you think that's the main reason that it's is is a fear of regulation? No, I mean I, th- I think that what that may be one of the reasons. I think it's it's to some extent if you want to do it something with data in the bank, and you're a little bit uncertain, the easy answer is always no. Yeah. But 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 uh, that is changing. So I wouldn't say maybe that's the main reason anymore. And we are doing, I mean, we are doing some of the stuff that we have in production is related to, you know, next best product and and uh, um, segmentation, uh, micro segmentation, and um, so, so that 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 we are in 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 our marketing automation space. We we're doing we're doing that nudging customers. Uh, if we want to do a campaign, uh, we, we, uh, we, we run it through machine learning models to, to, to identify target, uh, groups and so on. So I think it's, it's, it will come, but then also should you, should you develop that in house or should you just, um, bring it in? Now, that, that's another question. And, and I think that's, um, yeah, an interesting topic in itself, but. 
it's it's really interesting to me, and especially if you think about the the well-established banks mm. like Nordea, mm. and and you compare it to like uh, yeah, if we can say like Avanza or mm. Klarna or mm. whatever kind of mm. these kind of new mm. type of banks that mm. do pop up all the mm. time is. Mm. They they are starting to come up with a mm. large number mm. of new kind of mm. high tech solutions. Mm. H- how do you h- how do you cope with that type of new competition mm. in some mm. way? Do you see that mm. you you want to go that way yourself, or is it more to integrate and collaborate with them, or h- how do you find that type of new competition? Mm. Okay. I think it's it's it. On one hand, it's a little bit difficult because. Some of these new companies are not actually advising, they're guiding. Mm. And the regulation on advising is completely different from advising. If guiding and advising is different. Yeah, if you have advising, you have MIFID 2, you have, you know. MIFID 2, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's, let's not go into the regulation, but, but basically there's different regulation and the way, different sort of ways you can charge for these things and so on. So that is, I think, one part of it. Mm. Mm. But I, but but I, I would like to, because you are, you are leading us into the next theme here, uh, Anders, with these questions, because I had, I was really ex- interested to explore how we see, you know, how to, you know, what it does it take from a structural capital point of view to work with data and AI in a bank successfully, and and what is the human capital side of things. Mm. And I think to some degree, it, it's it, uh, working in large enterprises myself, it's like, it's such a convoluted topic, you know, mm. why can't we do AI, right? Mm. Uh, well, it's about the data, it's about the code, da, 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 da. Mm. So maybe we can structure the question in such a way. So wh- what are the structural capital topics you think is super important for the bank to be good at mm. to succeed with AI? And then what are the human capital sides? And in, if we do that, I think it answers back to, uh, what we can do faster and stuff like that. So mm. maybe structural capital topic on data and AI. How do you and see when you that? say struct, well, what do you mean by structural? structural I mean, like capital. to simplify, you know, uh, structural capital for me is the technology and processes mm. side. Human capital is the is the people, mm. the culture, the software side. Mm. Hard, hard, the hard versus the soft. Mm. Um, and, and some things in the gray area, but mm. it, let, let's talk about technology system, mm. architecture processes. Mm. You know, w- what do you need to sort of, if you want to get started and, 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 you know, what are the things that sort of is blocking, but also critical, uh, mm. the way we look at it, learnings. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in terms of structured capital, I think that we have most of the stuff that we need. Mm. Uh, you know, some people say, you know, we wish we were in the cloud, we would be more flexible and, but I'm, I'm not sure uh, um, that's probably the case, but I think that we have we have well enough structured capital to do a lot of things. And Technology, I would agree. Mm. Do you have the operating model and processes for DevOps and data ops and machine learning ops and stuff like that? Because that's another dimension of, you know, when infrastructure and code, you know, process and technology is almost blurs. Mm. So that's what I've seen. We have a shitload of technology, mm. but the way we are setting it up mm. or using it or working together is shit. Yeah, I think in the con, I mean, if you're related to the size of the company, yes. maybe maybe it's not utilized, uh, you know, in in the best way. But also, I think mm, it's it's you know it's it requires qu- quite a bit to to run a bank, yeah, uh, as it is, and to cope with the new regulations. So I'm not. Sh- 
So I think that we have most of the components. We need to maybe we need to adjust it and align it to be able to be move faster mm. um, and, and to be able to meet up with a new competition. Uh, while at the same time um, being safe and, and, and compliant. So, um, so, so is that a change in the way, the way we operate, you know, innovation maybe, I don't know. I mean, like the bank, we know how to operate, mm. but how to bring innovation in or industrialize? Or what, what are you talking about? What is the tweaking we need to do? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it, it's, it's back to a little bit this, this, this stacking thing, like, um, be a bit more aware of what components you need to, or actually how you can be more flexible and respond to whatever the future will look like. I think that's, that is the change in the whole industry now. It used to be more, 10 years ago, you used to be more certain about what banking looks like now, and you can draw a line and it will be like, it will be a little bit more, but it will be somewhere around here. Now it's more like nobody has an idea what banking will look like in 10 years. So how do you prepare for that? And it's like that, that changes the way in terms of you, you, you can't, you can no longer build your, your systems and your structure capture in a linear format. You need to decouple things and then be able to bring in new things and, and be, be, be faster in this, this way of thinking. I think that's where everybody is struggling now. So, but, but, but maybe that's me, you know, the way I interpret what you say now is that we, we've been able to set up processes you know, uh, uh, traditional, this is as is, this is to be, mm. this is the gap analysis. And then we de de define a new process and we build a new system mm. and then we're done. Mm. And now we're not ever again going to be done ever again. It's so it's, it's a continuous, I mean, like, so the processes that maybe be viewed as static and we have organized them from a static point of view, mm. they need to continuously drip feed and evolve. Mm. New data, new technologies, new algorithms are infused uh, or changing the way we can do things. Mm. It's, for me, this is a different way of looking at process. I mean, like uh, you go away from line and project mm. to DevOps, business ops. Mm. I think this is quite different mm. in, in operating innovation into the core and not having projects. Mm. As I'm just, I'm just, this is no, my I, 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 I agree. But so there's something here about building these modular platforms and be very service oriented, microservice oriented, yeah. of course, uh, and, and API powered. So you can, you can, you can be flexible and adopt to whatever the future of, of banking will look like. And I guess, yeah. you know, some, some banks might be, you know, pure, pure backend providers because yeah. they're very good at efficient at that. And, and, and the margins will not be great, but you know, that's a business to be in. Uh, some banks will be purely customer facing um, niche players and, and some will be still be full service provider. And I think that's yeah, where yeah. wants to be, but that then requires you to be able to manage bo both the sort of the, the back core of it, but then also this modular thinking in terms of the, the customer facing more for customer facing part. So I think that's but, and, on and a high level, how you can think about it. Yeah. And, and moving over to the human capital side then, mm. you know, because what we are talking about then is not, is in one way, the architecture and the way we drive projects is different. Yeah. How is it different for the people or the teams or how, you know, it's, you said it, it's a team play, right? I think this is where the, it, uh, the, the big uh, challenge is for, for, you know, countries and companies and uh, everyone, 
And um, the, also the most uh, difficult thing, obviously, because we need to be we need to be much more problem solvers than process followers. Uh, so the, you know, uh, this is when uh, this, uh, when I think about how, how we, you can see it as, I think that we are all now competing on the rate of learning almost. Whoever has the highest rate of learning will be most likely will be successful in 10 years compared to the, to the, um, to the others. Um, so how do you, how do you, how do you transform an organization to be in that mode? Just as the machine learning models constantly learn from data, the people also will need to learn from data. So, so how do you design a learning organization by design? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you don't make that into chance mm. by structurally, strategically mm. build a learning organization? And we're talking individual level, team level, enterprise level, mm. and ultimately you're back to Sweden and society, yeah. right? I this mean, is interesting stuff. Have you thought about this? Yeah, I've thought about this. Uh, it's one of my favorite topics. So, so let's, let's, okay, so we're moving into human capital mm. and we are immediately moving into learning organization mm. as a core topic. Yeah, but, but before that, I would like to put a mix here a bit just to break the, 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 um, the flow a bit. Um, you started with the future of banking. Uh, and one of the things that we want to portray with this podcast is actually show some kind of a vision that we, of course, we're going to fail of how the future will look like in 2030 by looking at specific industry and how in a utopian, dystopian type of way they should be actually looking like. So, for example, yeah, this is a question for all of you. So how the banking will look like in 2030? Mm. You started a bit, so I, but I would like to hear your thoughts as well yeah, because I mean, it's yeah, a very interesting topic, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's finish the innovation and, and where this is going. And, but I want to come back to human capital and learning because yeah. this is goosebump uh, material. Yeah. <laughs> but there has been a lot of changes in regulation for banking, and there was a new law right in 2018 uh, about the so to speak, right, and an EU directive. That also opened up a the lot. PST too, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that um, changed a bit about you know what companies can do with information from banks, and and then we have you know all these kind of newcomers coming in, and perhaps one day Amazon will launch something in Sweden that may not only be a retailer but also a bank in some way. Who knows? Or Tesla may do the same. They are planning to open insurance okay, companies Apple probably, Pay. and all these kind of tech companies will come into uh, Sweden as well. And uh, what's your thinking about that? You know, what will happen uh, in 10 years? What will happen in 2030? Will, will we, how, how will the banking industry look like at that yeah, point? But this is also a question for you because I think that then it's a, it's a good uh, mix here. But I, I He's an expert on it, so he should answer. But, but, but he has already answered it. It's an ecosystem and, I, and we can elaborate on that from hell. But I think that's the underlying story that I would say, talk about. But let's go, like, what, what, where is banking in 10 years? I think, yeah, as I said, I don't, I don't think anyone need, anyone knows. Touché. But I think that you said, if if Amazon or Tesla or everyone starts, you know, retail banking, mm-hmm. you know, they, the, the, the thing I think which is interesting there is that they're not in it for the money, right? They're in it for the data. So they might offer it for free. 
So what what, what happens then to the incumbents? Yeah, or to uh, to the uh, to the model, right? Um, it's it's not so easy to say. But how do you mean they're not in it for the money? And what's the value? I mean, not data? in it for the money. Well, I was completely wrong. But I mean, they they not they're not interested. The t- they in monetize in different the ways. Products. They're monetizing in a different exactly, way. Exactly. That's what I mean. And what are they monetizing? If yeah, they I mean, go they're using their data, right, right? For for they can bundle in different ways. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I I don't know. I, I was I was maybe a few years back. I was more sort of certain that that might happen, but I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, it's banking is you know building software is easy these days, but but um, building a full service bank is not so easy. Uh, I don't think so easy. I, I mean, but, but, but I mean building a car. Let him, let him sorry. answer. Sorry, but, sorry. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so th- there is there is um, banks. They they rely. Of course, we rely a lot on our trust, right? So I think in general, people have a higher trust in banks and how we handle their data than perhaps from Facebook or Google. So that, that that also means that we are a bit more careful and um and that might be something that means something uh, also in the future. And something that I think that the new com- the new tech companies will find ways to collaborate with us as bank in different ways. But it, but of course you would like to pay your bill in your Tesla if you can because you have this voice you have Alexa there, so you just pay your voice via. Uh, whether they have, um, whether they have their own so then banking license and they uh, operate that, or whether whether it is just an interface, you know, that could depend on many things, like blockchain, for example. Is that is that, I'm okay? So that you touched upon an interesting topic here, and um, I was waiting a bit for that. But okay. you know, some companies like Facebook that you mentioned also proposed a new cryptocurrency mm. uh, some years ago, Libra or something mm. it was called, right? And I don't think it really played out well. And uh, they tried to get, you know, the big banks on board and MasterCard and Visa and whatnot. Um, but in that case, it didn't work out that well, to, as far as I know. Or mm. do you know anything? No, I, I heard it. Um, that's my perception as well. Yeah. But still, we can see it's starting to move in that direction mm. in some way. The big tech giants that are the most valuable companies in the world today are moving into the finance sector in different ways. Mm. If it means currency, if it means banking or you know, insurance, who knows? Mm. Do you think that's inevitable in some way? Or do you still think that the big, like well-established banks will, will survive in 10 years? Yeah, I don't know. You're really putting me on the spot here. <laughs> I know. How fun um, would it be if it were easy questions? Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's difficult to um, to foresee. I think that the the these marketplaces or these systems where where money and will will be moving around will be probably increasingly complex. Where you have Bots interacting with bots, interacting with backend providers, interacting with um, brokers, uh, interacting with something that that, that it's but it could also be that you know the tech giants have an extremely well functioning customer service support. Mm. They have an extremely well functioning system that can use data and AI to a level that 
no one else can do mm. to simply provide a service uh, if it is for f- social networks or for a search engine or mm. whatnot it still is something that is very far away from what anyone else can do and mm. if they were to use the same techniques for insurance banking currency mm. wouldn't that be a bit s- scary i think so actually yeah i mean you could look at what's happening in china i guess and and with wechat and some mm. of these it's it's they are just taking over everything yeah right but they can do that because they don't really care so much about data integrity and they don't have regulate they regulate if they have to if it's very serious and the government probably controls everything yeah. anyway so so i think that there's um there's a large difference between china and europe and the us in that yes. sense right china is where all the implementation is done nobody will ever catch up right in us is still where the innovation comes from the, the most advanced papers come from there you know it's, it's still kind uh, of would, would you still think that happens though i mean i think well, that's at least that what kai fuli said so i trust him on that one i think just recently <laughs> if you number of papers from china has been as far as appearing us for a long time but now i think just recently in the last couple of months china also sur- surpassed us in number of citations for scientific papers in ai mm-hmm. but the so, breakthrough papers what he was he was saying so yeah. the breakthrough things are so different. far but you know yes. i'm not yeah. the expert yeah. here yeah. i'm on too nice but 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 europe is still kind of a regulatory superpower yeah so so in that good is, and bad ways yes yeah right so so in terms of data integrity that's probably a good thing if you mm. listen to apple right they they refer to gpr it's not a GDPR can be there's some good things with it and some bad things with it, but I think that looking to Europe to say you know there's something there with this data integrity that's a good thing, mm. and I, I I have chosen to be to to have the same viewpoint. Maybe moving fast and breaking things, you know, will we will suffer some consequences. But mm. so it's it's back to also those kind of things when you say you know the big tech companies they have the tech yeah, but is it really what we want? Is it really what we want? And and you know, as long as they are in this advertising hole, mm. or some of them at least, mm, not so, so sure. So one spin on this, I, I've been listening a little bit to on other podcasts to Alexander Bard uh, as as an interesting philosopher and to really stretch our things. And you know, you can think whatever you want to him, but yes, it's it's it's, it's, it's I find it quite um, entertaining and very smart. I mean, like, and one of the key things that will be a, a, a major currency, according to, uh, to many thinkers, is trust. I mean, like, so that when the greed has gone too far, when, when everything has gone too far, when we play the card too much, when people have understood that, well, the influencer is not really liking that product, she's getting paid to f- service that, we come back to the f- fundamental trust issue uh, topics. This is one angle why, you know, the traditional banks has a place that is really, really hard to replace. And and basically also being on the cautious side all the way along, maybe is playing the, the, the longest card, you know, the longest straw in the end, because the trust is there. I think an- another key topic that I saw from Vattenfall, you will have, I mean, like, it's this ecosystem thing for sure. But there's, there, there is a very different thing to do a full service thing of an, anything, to be a full value chain utility, to be a full value chain bank. So you will be nibbled from all different kinds mm. of corners, right? 
And the scary thing is if, if the nibbling is on all the margins, in the end you go bust mm. because there's nothing left. Mm. But there is a service that, you know, I don't really think Apple has any intention to be a full value chain bank. I don't see it, right? I see them coming in and very strategically eating in a very painful way, of course, but they, they will focus on what they're good at, or they will focus, you know, like Tesla, they will focus on, on the total experience around the car and insurance, and we, we will have a different business model built around, I don't know. So, so I think being a bank from the core versus coming in in the financial sector, everything, I, I think the, the, the easy bet is who is, whoever is world-class to work in an eco, data and AI ecosystem has an opportunity. If you cannot compete or can, or actually if you not, cannot collaborate in ones and zeros in a data and AI ecosystem, I think you're dead. In the energy industry, in the transport industry, in the banking industry, water and- So what are you uh, saying about Nordea then? Uh, it, I, I think it's up to them to win by becoming an ecosystem player and understand what that means and be and shift their business model, their technology stack, their processes into, you know, an architecture that is fitting this mm. uh, and a way of operating that is fitting this uh, collaborative culture that is fitting this. Uh, this is what I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I I think I agree with you on uh, on those things, and it's. Um, so you don't need to, you don't need to know exactly what position you're going to have, mm. but the underlying mechanics. This mm. is what you're going to what you should work on. Yeah, and keeps from the coach. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe the difference between a bank and it, maybe it's also for a utility company that you you play actually a samhälls function. Yes. So you 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 your your. Um, this is important. Which is important, right? What is the English word for Samuelsson? It's utility. You are a utility in the society. Mm, Banking, yeah. a critical mm. infrastructure part mm. of society. Yeah. And actually, Nordea is also a global uh, systematic important bank. So there's, there's that, that comes with a lot of responsibility. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I agree with the, the modular thinking and that the, the idea of having a company structured around different customer segments probably won't make sense anymore, right? The point is, how can you pick the right customer segments of tomorrow? Mm. Maybe you can't, right? Mm. Because someone will slice the dice mm. from a Tesla car perspective, mm. and then you have another target mm. segment. I, I think know. you will strip it down to like what's what's really customer critical, mm. and then you have the, all the operations that supports that, yeah. that, that, and then you have these common functions. You know, there are only these three things that will matter and, and um, I but think that will affect a little bit how you organize. Because how you organize uh, people, how you organize processes, how you organize tech, how you organize data, mm. right? I, I mean, like you, you're following through on the logic all the way through. Mm. Uh, all right, so that I think we covered, that's a good summary and, and ending game on that. I, I want to talk. Do you do you have a topic? Do you want to go for? I Otherwise, I have, I have some. You have a good question. Come on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, do you have a Do you have a topic? I actually, no. I want to go back to one of your topics: problem solving. Mm. What it was all about, process driven, mm. because I think that goes back to we we did that right now. 
But what it, what are you what was your thinking around problem solving being different? Or okay, uh, I, I'll give you uh, you like concrete stuff. So yes. I'm going to give you a concrete example now. How I came up with this, uh, it was like apparent to me. I'm using this new technology. It was we worked in Norway on this claims process. You know, like you you work on Statoil and you get you're injured, and then you have this insurance, and you have um, you can you can get you can claim that and get compensated. And and the way you you do that is that you. It's, it's, it's a very manual uh, process combined with a lot of human judgment. And it, it takes quite a long time on average to solve this end-to-end, right? From the, the, from the time you, you record your uh, digitally your, your problem to when you get your money. And also when you do that, you're in a distressful situation maybe because, you know, something happened to you, something bad happened to you. So you... So we, we, we looked at this process and, and we said, okay, how can we how can we use robots, right, to, to improve this process? Like you usually talk when yeah. you talk about process, incrementally improving a process, which is the old way of solving problems. When I was in management consultant, that's how you solve it. As is to be, gap, gap it. <laughs> build it, and you get your 10%, maybe sometimes even 20%, you know, sometimes even more, 25. Those are fantastic, right? So, but what we said, okay, 20. So if we do this with, with robots, then, you know, we can get this 10%, maybe even 15. Great. But then we turn it on and said, okay, what would it take to make this process instant? Simple question, but it changes the whole sort of playing field, how you solve that problem. So what would it take to make this outcome, this payment instant? So the customer gets it's the same day. So what you need to do, because then you can you can incrementally improve that process. You cannot throw robots at it. You can you need to rethink, reimagine the whole thing. That is what problem solving is about. Mm-hmm. So 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 the way with this is three four years back, but yeah, maybe something related to to first principle thinking. Let, let's let, let him finish Sorry, because yeah. this is so close to the core what we've been preaching. But mm-hmm. I, please, you go you go on and you 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 pull the whole story out there. Okay, so talk- so this t- this takes sixty days, say for average. I'm not something like that. Sixty days from start to finish. So. What do we need to make it instant? So then we say, okay, let's look at this when these come in. How can we, how can we categorize these to start with? The 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 red, yellow, green thing, right? Simple. Mm-hmm. So we can we can we can build some business rules to say some so put some threshold to say this is because we know ninety percent go through anyway. But let's put some 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 thresholds and say this this is a green case, clear case. Like when you apply for your mortgage loan, you want to top it with 10% because you know some renovation and you have uh, only 40%, you know, this is an easy thing, right? Okay, so green. So if, if you know it's green, then you can give it to a robot. The robot can go into the system, update the system, then it can hand it over to a, an algorithm that can, that can check for financial fraud and flag it if it's, if it's something yeah, in the data that shows that this is potential fraud. And then if it's green, that can hand it over to another robot that can make the payment, go into the system and make the pay, process the payment, right? There's no, 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 no rocket science in that process. So that, that green flow then, that was run uh, daily. So for those cases, 
we took it down from 60 to one day. It sounds then, crazy, but quite simple when you quite, quite when, when you break the break the dunk easily. Yeah, and then and then you have there's a yellow case coming in. You say, hmm, we need some. We probably need to check, uh, you know, medical records, and we need to check with the uh, uh, what do you call it uh, the Schekkenskassan uh, in Norway or the yeah insurance ah uh, social insurance. Uh, so, so then you you go out and you ask for these uh, these medical records, right? That still takes two weeks. There's nothing you can do about that because the doctors need time, and then they send back a bunch of papers. Could be three, could be thirty pages with with the information about this particular customer. So, if you are able to take that document, put it on a intelligent OCR, get into structured text. Hand it over to a, um, a text analytics tool that just basically key keyword search, search for dates, medication, uh, symptoms, prior problems, and so on. You can you can you can actually um, train that to make a recommendation. You know, okay, not okay, okay. You hand it over to the robot, and you go the same process as, as the green one. Mm-hmm. So that process that you could, you was taken down then from sixty days to, to two weeks because you cannot solve the analog analog getting the yeah. reply from the doctor. And then you have the red cases go straight to human. So it's 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 so this is just a very simple um, example of how you apply some basic four or five different technologies. So categorization, robotics. Uh, Pattern recognition, uh, OCR, and text analytics to take an end-to-end process and make it instant. So that is that, and that is that particular project was was good because it taught us how to think about problem solving. Then, as you, but uh, of course, that if you implement these solution and, and and if you if you build these point solution, it's difficult to scale, right? Because the scaling but, 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 but disregard the scaling the way that problem was solved was like an aha thing so I think that's 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 what I mean with, with, with problem solving but but let's dissect this because we have one part is the problem solving part the the other part I really really like is which we think we talked a lot about um, you can actually go straight to AI from nowhere if you have a concrete enough problem and you can solve it and, and you don't need this, this, this misconception that you need to have everything in order to do everything. So it's, it's like, uh, what we would refine to as first principle uh, approaches. Let's go back to that. But it's also a, an, 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 um, profound understanding of how first go use case, understanding the first principles and then select the tech that works. Okay, putting on scaling is the next level on this. But I think we start sometime, as you said, with the tech and go around and try to find the problem. Mm. Um, so let's dissect that. This problem solving topic, uh, I, I think is fundamentally first principle we're discussing as, as a definition we've used. Um, have you heard first, I mean, like what you're talking about now is the difference between, you know, 10x and incremental. Uh, and, re- and and the core word is reinventing. Um, have you heard about first principle thinking? 
I heard it from your previous episodes, and I was, <clears throat> but I didn't quite get it. So maybe you can take it again. <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's the same as you did now. Okay. Um, I, I think this was an example of if if we sl- if we break something down to the core, mm. and and basically we say, well, how d- or you've completely flipped the conversation. You know, how could you do it differently? Mm. And, and it, it, now you came in from this. You, you put the metric on how do I go? How, how do I put it? How do I do this instant? Mm. And and then when we have gone into this conversation, it's, it's been a little bit like if if you, if you take an engineering problem, it's the same. Like wh- why is this taking sixty days? Mm. You know, let's flip it. Wh- wh- why why does it need to take sixty days? It doesn't. Mm. And and first principle is is basically then stripping it down to the bare bones, mm. and then from here data and AI whatever tech, build you know building the components up in a different way. Mm. I mean, like, and and I think this is the difference between true, you know, automation and, and AI driven. When you basically you haven't put, you know, a, a RPA on top of all systems, but if you truly strip it down to the bare bones, you know, how would the process look like if you had had all the data? If you if you know what what is the real data you need? How can you automate this? Mm. Maybe, you know, do you think this is? You know, I, I think it's very close to problem solving question when you put like a metric like this to first principle. How do you, how would you see it? Um, we have spoken about this so many times, but in short, I would say, you know, it's the, I would say courage to break the norm, mm. the courage to say, you know, even though we've done this process like this in 10 years, do we really need to do that? Can we think about a different way to do it? And can we rethink, you know, what we're really trying to solve and, and perhaps solve it in a different way, like instant, you know, claim processes. Mm. So, so I think you, you had the courage to not being stuck in how a process was done, mm. but to basically say, okay, we, we're gonna go from six, 60 days, come on, you can't go to one day. Uh, let, let's start from the one day paradigm and build it up again. Mm. And you could clearly solve it mm. for parts of the cases. Mm. Now, I usually, when I talk about this, I usually draw like three, three circles. Like one, one circle is like ambition, as you say, be bold. Mm. One is, you know, service design or, or start from, you know, dis- disregard what it looks like today, but, but start with a white paper basically, and then apply new technologies such as machine, uh, machine learning or APIs or blockchain, whatever. And then you know, whatever you find in the intersection there, that's, that's where the 10X is. Yeah. And, and when you, that's also something they talk when, when I was in California, they all talk about these three horizons, right? Yeah. Horizon one is improve the current. Improve the current. Yeah. So horizon two is create a new uh, with with a new technology. And horizon three is basically disrupt the next. So I think for us as an incumbent company, moving from horizon one to horizon two, which I think this claims case is something like horizon two. Yeah. That is that is, <clears throat> there's a lot of value there, mm. but it's about then being bold, as you said, it's about daring to take some bets and redistribute some of the funding that you apply to the horizon one into the yeah. horizon two. And here we come to the innovation rule, the 10, 20, 70, or is, <laughs> yeah. is, is, uh, um, there, there is a rule of thumb, how you should invest in the different horizons. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. I mean, my opinion about innovation is that I, I, don't, I don't, I mean, Innovation is also a relative term, right? Mm. If you talk to Google X mm. about innovation, you know, to them, if unless you fail 
times out of 100 is not really innovation. Uh, if you're certain from, from get-go about what you want to do, it's not really innovation. And to me, to me, it's more like evolving or developing, uh, to be honest. Um, but, um, yeah. But, I, but I, I, I think one way of looking at first principles because it's easy for us to say now, but but let me take the, the example we're working on, uh, how you make that into reality that is exactly like you did. You put you put you you put a conversation, uh, you put a metric on it. So I work on the loan and leasing part of Scania right now, and we we want to do uh, credit automation straight through processing, right? Uh, Real time uh, credit score which is quite tricky, yeah? mm. but it's quite doable. If you start looking at sort of what's the parameters, which is easy to score and what is uh, more, uh, more complicated, but you can't really start from the existing process because the existing process is built on an analog process that was created for, for an analog purpose that had been computerized. Mm. So to do this well now and, and basically strip it down to the bare, the, uh, the bare backbone is actually simpler than you think. It's the analog baggage that's the problem. Mm. And this, you know, to go through this is a little bit like, I, I, I don't accept two weeks. I, I, this is real time. Mm. We need to be able to score this real now. How can you do that? I need that technology. I need that technology. I need that technology. I need this data. And it's quite doable. Mm. But, it's, but to get here, Horizon 2 type innovation, it almost starts with someone putting this fundamental flipping the objective that mm. what you did. How can we make this instant? Mm. So this goal setting, I think, is quite a, a key here, how you define your metric. Yeah, I think the metrics is super important. But I also think that, you, yeah, obviously, credit scoring is a tricky thing because you you also need to... There's a lot of stuff coming from, like, transparency and uh, understanding what you're doing, not only understanding the underlying technology and the systems, but also understanding the each decision in the context it was taken, because you might you might have to explain why. Uh, uh, so so I think to do that, you also need to have really good control mechanisms in place, like, so make sure that you don't violate your ethical or your your norms or your business requirements or your compliance requirements and everything. So uh, technically, yes, it's definitely doable, but it's um, so what, what, is, what, what is the tricky point when, with recommender systems or decision engines in, 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 in credit, as an example? Is, is the ethical part is clearly one part, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think there's a reason why we don't see many examples of it yet in the marketplace, right? You see a lot of uh, recommendation systems on the commercial side because it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not so... <clears throat> so heavily uh, regulated and it's not so sensitive. But but when you come to claims handling, when you come to, I think there was a municipality of Telebori where they have this system and they now get, uh, where they automatically uh, approve uh, customers and and they have now been, I think, filed by the local union. Um, and, and I think a lot of the, all the banks, as, I, as I've seen it, no banks are doing this yet, the credit scoring. Um, and it's just basically that you, you need to know what you're doing, I think. But there are some companies, some small companies that do it. For, for uh, There's one example from Norway, a really interesting company that, that do this. So they have nine or ten machine learning models that, that 
you know, uh, in a system and they do instant credit scoring and they have thousands of customers. So it's, it's doable. Yes. But it's like, not only do you have system legacy, but you also have like mindset or people legacy in yes. how you think about things. So how yeah. do you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. And for, for, for a bank, especially, or other regulated companies that are coming from a truly policy-driven, rule-based way of working, you know, you, 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 you want to have people following procedure mm. to say, now we want to be business-driven and data-driven. Mm. It's almost like the opposite. Yeah. So how can you be sure that you are following your policy, when you all of a sudden have machine learning, which is, you know, machine learning is like you have data and you have rules and you get an output. All of a sudden you have data and you have output and you get the rules. So, so how do you cope with that as, as, a, as, a, as a large bank or as a, as a large corporate? I think that's the core of why this is difficult and a, a mindset thing. So the, so the mindset in is... Because ultimately your role as, uh, and how you need to think and act when you are augmented with AI shifts now, mm. right? Mm. And, um, but, and then we, th now we get into the whole, um, learning and change management topic then. I mean, like you can always make this into a segue around learning and you know, so, so when we have mind shifts approaches like this, you know, uh, how, how do we cope with that? Because what, what I think this is, in my opinion, one of the largest topics, why it's not so easy for an analog company or, or, or a large enterprise, especially in the banking industry, to move so easily. Because, because it, there are fundamental mind shifts that has clearly different aspects on it. Yeah, I think to truly make a transformation Yeah. You, you, you probably need, you, you, it has to come from the top and all the way down. And um, I, I, I like to, uh, when, I, when I think about these things, I like to look at companies who are AI first companies. Right? So, so you, there are a few AI first companies. Who, now who would you look up to? I mean, like uh, Google is an example, but Microsoft, I think is an interesting example, like uh, because they, they have transformed there are only i mean there are only a few companies that were top 10 in the world 10 years ago they are still on the list yes and microsoft is actually one of them and i think so they have been able to transform their company from as as they say from a bunch of know-it-alls to a bunch of learn-it-alls yeah and i can i can if if i go into the 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 microsoft ai landing page i can see that because the first thing they they go so are you ready If not, click here and you go into all these, you know, trainings and courses and, you know, things you need to understand about how AI machine learning works and why that is different. I think that's almost a new t-shirt, you know, go from know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. Yeah. I yeah. love that quote, actually. That's uh, awesome. Uh, so dare, dare to, dare to learn it all. Yeah. So, so how do you, so that means that as leaders, you need to be vulnerable to some extent and ask questions start asking questions how how can this work you know i don't you know and to be open to 
to learn how these new things can can help because obviously even though going from policy driven to to data driven is 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 a is a is a very much shift there's an obvious value in being data driven because everything becomes more personalized more dynamic more um, more uh, precise uh, um so I think that they can probably intellectually understand that but how do you get there because you need to have let something go but and and, and and ultimately now it comes all the way down why this is learning is key here is because if you wanted in order to work in a business ruled policies driven job you needed to know this mm-hmm. in order to function this and work not work in the systems but monitoring or working on the system or be part or being augmented you you kind of need to know a lot more and different things in order to understand how it works without doing it so so clearly here over and over again we will have a learning curve and we we can talk about this forever now we can talk about lifelong learning and all that but but my question where i want to take this is okay this is a given learning is going to be critical to be successful going from know it all to learn it all and i can try to take responsibility for that as an individual Okay, this is a mind, you know, I want to learn, I, I go nuts, right? And it's helping my own and me, my career. But how do you design a learning organization or what are the mechanisms that we need to work on now in the large enterprise to go from a know-it-all organization to a learn-it-all organization? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? What is your opinion? <laughs> Yeah, that's a nice a, one, right? That's a nice one. <laughs> I mean, there, there are different ways you you and one way that we are addressing this is is we think about, you know, challenger models for example, right? You mm-hmm. you might build um now if I would like to solve the credit problems for example, I would I would uh, I would team up with someone and 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 uh, and create some challenger models and and basically you know preferably be put it in production but not use it but to see how it performs and compare it to what i have and and uh, and and there also so because then you get the learning and you also see the performance and you build confidence and you build trust and at some point this this challenger model will, which is probably the equivalent you know 1% of the of the or 10% of the cost of this monster here be will be performing better um be more lean and efficient and agile or whatever and i trust it and i know how it works enough and i will use it so so that I mean that could be one way of of getting there but because i don't think it's ne- it's possible to just go from here and then shift and go here you need to do some kind of that, that's one example of what you could do but but perhaps you know if i can get one topic in i know this is a favorite topic of yours uh, henrik so I, I i do understand that you, you want to take and, and and have a lot of discussions here but just to segue from that you know how how do you actually do move into a more innovative space and you made a really i think interesting quote which is kill the pock and um this also ties into the question you know how do you really make innovation happen in a company. And uh, you can think about different steps. I think you mentioned MVPs as well, that that could be one way. But let's say that you now want to do the instant uh, claim process, for example. What is the process to do that? You should kill the pock, you mean, even for that case? Uh, You you Mm. even had an article in Harvard Business Review, Kill the Pock. 
I was, yeah, I was co- part co- of it. Co-author. Yeah. So in, that, in HBR. Actually, I wasn't, my name wasn't there, but uh, Nuria was mentioned. So they, they, it was me they interviewed. But but it was, it was uh, this, the, the, I think that the heading was something like uh, Kill the Pox. And I, I think that what I think about Pox, maybe Pox can be maybe defined in different ways. Yeah. What's your definition? So so the, my definition is based from experience where, where it's used to prove some kind of value uh, to uh, and get uh, so people on board, but usually you spend a lot of time uh, on creating something that is quite far from being in production. So it's often a desktop product. Uh, could be even be a PowerPoint, but it could also be some kind of uh, script on a PC, I guess. But it, it it is it is a nice demonstration, but all the effort that you put into it. Um, is 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 quite often wasted because a lot of the things you, you you already know that it's it's kind of the thing to do, but how do you do it? And the, the how you will not get the learning unless you take it all the way to production and in some kind of shape. Or but form. does that mean that you have to take everything to production no. to be able to do something? Not not everything, but 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 uh, a small you know uh, you know some kind of MVP because unless you take it from you know, from the source, do all the, you know, and take it all the way through, you know, testing deployment uh, and have see how it performs in production. Uh, uh, I mean, unless you do all that, it's, it's difficult to really get the learning and really get the insights to really be able to see is this feasible or not. And, what and, and just to, to clarify, because we, I think we all have different definition of what mm. the POC means mm. and prototype means and what the pilot means mm. and what production means. Mm. Um, but if I understand you correctly, uh, what the go into production means, mm. it means something that touch the real end user in some way. Or how would you define what go into production means? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, to your, you're right. It goes into the end user, but it also sits in the environment somehow where you are planning to, to go. So, so it, it, you know, if you want to, if you want to take, uh, uh, um, some kind of uh, routing algorithm uh, into a customer service call center, right? And you want to you want to be able to f- smartly route phone calls or, or predict to uh, some uh, forecasting on 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 um, cases. Unless you take it all the way in 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 the production and see how it fits and integrates with the environment that you are planning to put it in you don't really know if it's going to work or not. And you don't get the learnings and you don't get the, uh, because let, usually that they- Let me try out then um, a ladder, so to mm. speak, that we try to work with and see what you think about it. Because there are you know problems with going to production. In in most companies, I would mm. argue that going to production, even in a light way, yes. I mean, like MVP style, yeah. is really it's hard. Damn difficult. Yes. So then the question is, you know, if you the only thing you can do, even if it's an MVP, a small thing that may not be fully productionized, mm. but at least it touched the end user in some mm. way, takes three, four, five months to do. Mm. It it will be really slow to mm. do innovation. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So yeah. let me follow up. That. Just let me okay give a bit more longer context then. Uh, at least you know we try to have like three steps: actually having a POC, then a pilot, and then production. And what we basically mean with a POC is to be completely disconnected from the end user, disconnected from the organization, 
And in, the, in our case, it's just about using AI. So, mm. I mean, it really means building some kind of model mm. and seeing if we have the predictive power enough to actually do see that mm. we can use it for anything. Mm. But it, as long as you're disconnected from the real environment, it goes so much faster to iterate. Mm. But then you don't know the true mm. value. So then you need to move to some kind of MVP mm. and, or a pilot, as mm. you can call it. Mm where you, you're not fully productionized, you don't have continuous pipelines moving everything into the system as it should, and it's not having all the feedback loops and monitoring and uh, alerting that you need to have, but mm. at least it does mm. move to the real end user. Mm. And you can do a proper evaluation mm. as you can. And if that is successful, then you do the really big step, mm. which I would argue is, you know, it's even bigger it's big to go from prototype to pilot, but to go to pilot from production is really big. Mm. And it could be years of work. Mm. No, and, I, and it might make more sense also for, for your company because you are, um, for you, you know, innovation is more at your core or development is more at your core where as a bank you are, spend, you need to spend a lot of time on run, run the business. So, so my problem then becomes if I, if I, for my innovation or development part, spend a lot of time on, on stuff that will never reach production, never mm -hmm. give us the learnings, then, um, cause when we come to say, you know, we might do this, mm -hmm. then it's probably more of a certain thing for us than it would be for you. Mm -hmm. So, 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 you know, we want to do a voice bot, mm -hmm. you know? Do we need to prove the value? Do we need to prove the technology? Do we need to? No, I mean, it it is it is something to do. So let's take something all the way in there and and get the learnings and and. Um, so you so start from a point that already have some proven potential value at least. I mean, most things, right? I I I, I find it hard to come up with something that uh, that uh, that. You know, it's, it's such an innovation that we don't know if it's, uh, you know, if it's going to be valuable to us. I think most of the stuff we do was, are quite straightforward things. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, but I, I, so in that case, I can see mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, then it makes sense. But, but in a but lot of cases, I would argue that unless you tried it on your own data, mm -hmm. you don't know if it will have the predictive power and the value that you think it will have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the, I, I don't see that's a, that is a contradiction necessarily to... I mean, then you don't. You can try it on the data without moving to the end user. I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's sure. But, but there, there are so many different dimensions on this. You know, from idea to to some sort of validation to development and all that. I mean, like there's the whole investment topic now. How can we mm. fail fast and fail mm. cheap? Mm. You know, is the whole dimension of to go to true adoption is a business dimension, is the commercial dimension, mm. is it is a solution technology mm. AI model dimension, and it's a data and you know underlying data compliance dimension. Mm. So, so you, if you take that thinking the long way. You come into idea idea to production use case lifecycle where you clearly have an iterative approach. You can fail fast, but it puts a lot of thinking about what should we be doing in each phase. What is the key focus uh, from a business perspective, solution perspective, and data perspective in the ideation phase? Mm. What, what is it actually that we are trying to do? Mm. And and if we can get a whole organization to understand that lingo and that way of working. 
then you can have an industrialized approach on how do we do this faster. And, and, and I think I think the general understanding from everybody in innovation in Silicon Valley, I mean, like Lale, the real success comes down to how fast can you do one iteration cycle? You know, let's say it's the MVP. In Scania, we talk about evolutionary MVP. So we say MVP and wh- what do we, how do we address it the next level, the next level, the next level. And basically lean startup, Eric Rice thinking, putting on, put on steroids, that's the real KPI. How fast can we, and what metrics do we use to understand where we're going? Mm. So I think this kill the pock is quite profound. If you see it in, this is the light that, that I was reading that story. And also, and also you're onto something there that I've been thinking about how efficiently can you kill the, the stuff that, you know, that doesn't make sense. How, how, how efficient can you be in killing those things so you can get to the stuff that will work? I think that maybe that, maybe that, maybe that's the core skill. Rather yes. than getting coming up with that, yeah, we have ninety nine ideas, and we and we, we through innovation we have ninety nine ideas and go for one. But you know, do you know how to fast? How do I kill those mm. shitty ideas fast? Mm. The so is, the time is flying. Wow! Actually, ah, uh, sh- I want to talk about new tech. I don't know. We're, we're running over time. Matthias, are you in a hurry? No, I'm not in a hurry. Go ahead. Before, as wrap-up topics, I, I, I would like to get a little bit outside, you know, into fun. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I know, or you, I think you said somewhere, or I read somewhere, that you are quite passionate and interested in, in new tech and, you know, and, and AI, in, you know. So, so tell us a little bit about your passion, or, or is it professional, is it private? No, my, I think that my my um, my my story usually when i talk about these things is i i refer to this you know the blue pill red pill analogy yeah. right matrix so, so i love the matrix and you do too i'm sure <laughs> yes, the, at least I the first one right it, the first one is good. the first one i think all is good yeah. they're all good but the first one but is the really first good. one is the 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 the, the, the it was on telly the, the other one. day by the way was it yeah, yeah, yeah. well i've seen it like 35 times <laughs> But they talk about because I think it's 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 a little bit where I am in terms of I took the red pill a few years ago. Years ago. And you know, I'm down then in the rabbit hole, yeah. you know, finding out how things will work. And I kinda wanna see we talked about what banking will look like. I kinda wanna see the matrix. How how will things play out? You know, like oh, Neo at the end. He sees, <laughs> you know, he sees the matrix, right? So that's how I think about it. But it's, and, and it's more to me than become a passion to see how these technologies that you guys, Belterian or other, are, are working on out here and how they can be uh, uh, sort of solving problems here on the side in the business, right? So making, c- connecting these things, that has become my passion, you could say. And then le- recently, then I, I, I've been, you know, looking more in the AI space, like the AI solutions that, that are, are emerging and the way people think about these things. So that's, that is my passion, you could say. Uh, so that's why I follow all these uh, great thinkers. Yeah. And, uh, so who is your favorites? So this is interesting in order. Um, yeah, well, I I really like to listen to you know the the um, 
uh, Exponential View is a great podcast, right? Uh, Seema Shah. Uh, uh, and um, of course, this AIAW is a great uh, one. That's a great right? one. I've heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but uh, the, um, the people that talk about how 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 the how we can how we can solve things in a new way and uh and how they uh, uh yeah so so um uh now i lost my th- line of thought here but but basically that's what i mean and right now it's very much about uh i happen to as, as a business person mm-hmm. i wish i was uh, you know a data scientist or a technical person but i'm not uh, so i'm more the bridge mm-hmm. but uh, what i found is that it's it's a useful role right yes Th- these translators yes that i am sure. kind of it, it's 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 like there's a clear space for a generalist passionate guy in between the business problems and and the technology that's what i found and that's why i uh, that's my mission. Um, so, and, and I, I'm really more fond of, so I've chosen to see AI as a good thing. I've chosen, but I've also understand that, you know, it may not always be, but Do I you believe in the singularity. Do you think that uh, we will lose control of AI at some point soon? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that. And, and the, the interesting thing there is right. The, the greatest minds in the world are disagreeing on this topic, yes. right? So it's almost like you, you in, intellectually, I don't know, but you have to take a stand. You know, so I made a stand. I believe it in for the good. I need to, I believe that you need to develop increasingly good AI to fight the bad AI. And the only way That's to, you way. know, yeah, so, like so I like to listen to, you know, Gary Kasparov, for example, like the old chess player, right? That he talks a lot about that, you know, that, that, you know, the only way to, uh, to, 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 to beat, uh, the, the, the bad AI from Russia or China is to develop even better AI on our side. So that's, that's one. He's also talking a lot about this human, this human plus machine. Uh, we can have another hour now use yeah. on philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, I'm eager to say, you know, I'm not sure if you saw it like a week ago, it came a big um, article from, I think NF, uh, NF, NSF in US saying, we know Russia and China, as you said, is using AI to bad uh, applications like warfare and it, it is going to be like an ai arms race in some way so the question then even though we we never want to do that we don't want to participate in using ai for an arms arms race some people are going to do it and, and what do you do um i hate to bring up this kind of negative topic in the end but no but i think but do you, do you fight, bad, uh, fight bad ai with good ai but it's hard but right? it, but actually what could that be i love that thinking what could that be? Bad AI. No, ba- fighting bad AI with good AI. I mean, like we can understand AI for greed, AI for control. I don't know, but uh, what's the good AI that can be even better? I mean, like I think it has it has to be ethical and all that. Yeah, I think that you probably are better equipped to answer that question. And I think it's not necessarily also only to talk about good AI versus bad AI, but it's also to say that some AI shouldn't exist right i mean like um for some for warfare yeah like Could max tegan max talking about you need to ban ai for for uh, autonomous uh, you know weapons right you yeah. can it's just like you, you ban, ban the chemical weapons you need to just ban that or so there's something yeah. that you just you don't go there yeah. 
Yeah, um, I like it. And, and then, we have been successful in doing that for yeah. biological and chemical and nuclear weapons yeah. in the past. So it, it should be the so, same logic. Mm, it yeah. should, wh- why would that logic be different? Mm. I agree. But then you can also talk, take another angle and, and talk. I also like to listen to uh, um, Stuart Russell. Mm. And, 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 you know, he's, he's talking a lot about why why should we do ai what what should it sort of what should it be used for and how to make sure it's human compatible right his latest book so, so i don't that that's also a way of thinking about also from you can take it you can take it to my to nodea and say you know just because we should do this um uh, could do this i mean should we do this i mean what why are we you know what are we trying to accomplish because we in the end we wanted to make it better for us uh, so there's something there, uh, not necessarily fighting good AI with uh, bad AI with good AI, but applying, you know, ways of thinking about how we apply it. Um, that's also uh, interesting, I think. Um, I mean, so many topics. Yeah, like so many cy- topics. I'm, uh, it's I, like cybersecurity or whatnot. You know, yeah. they are trying to hack systems. area where you where you can exactly. definitely. But I think yeah, a good example of fighting. I think we're exactly. so listeners. We use both we're we're going into AI after work now. So, oh, actually, <laughs> AI after after work. So I'm sorry. The, the real good stuff always starts ten past seven. So we will. But I wish a- you know cybersecurity for banks. Mm. That oh. would be a topic that we should have moved into. But mm. you know, we don't have time right now. Maybe but I should do an event on it. Let's do it. Let's do an event. <laughs> and have Matthias as the chairman. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, actually, we are 10 past over. So let's have the classical ending okay. questions that we always do. And then we will have more beers if you want to. But what is um, what is next in your life? So what is sort of privately or professionally, you know, things that you're excited about are just now happening around the corner? So I, I want to be part, somehow I want to be part of making... This sounds very, let's say, pretentious or pretentious or, or whatever. But I, I want to be part of, um, uh, uh, you know, um, creating, um, pro- you know, having AI for for doing better <laughs> life, better yeah. Yeah. AI for the greater good. Uh, so I, I mean, right now I'm I'm doing Inodia and I wanna I wanna I want us to push forward on our AI strategy and, and uh, establishing the capability in the bank and, and, and do a lot of great stuff. We have a lot of great people. Um, I also, I, I was listening into this AI, Swedish AI agenda kickoff uh, the yes. other week, right? Awesome. So there's, there's, uh, I have been waiting for that for quite some time and I'm, I'm a bit worried that that's, that we're not really, I think that from a, from a corporate or from a, from a, uh, you know, institutional perspective, we might be on the ball, but still, I think I'm missing the politicians really stepping into it and really sort of creating a clear direction for us. So we have, so that that it'll be nice and fun to work on that AI strategy also. Uh, so, at oh, some are, point. You, are you moving in this direction to try to work with this? Or I mean, I would be happy to if, if, if you know. I will invite you to that. I will so, invite yeah. you. I, yes. has, I will. In, you you put it up there. You will be invited <laughs> to many things now. <laughs> uh, so so that's uh, that's a few things um, uh, that I'm. But it's the whole AI agenda, you know, corporate to corporate ecosystem, society, you know. Academia, it needs to happen, right? In some ways, we need to sort of bring the, you know, the, the different perspectives and brains together. Yeah, it sounds like that, I, I, that's what I took out of what you said. We need to move on it together. Mm. Cool. 
Final question. Uh, who would you like to see on this podcast? Oh, that's right. I should have, I should have prepared that one. I knew that was coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I only mentioned a few, right? You should have uh, Stuart yeah, Russell, yeah, Stuart like Kasparov, <laughs> Lex Friedman, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Ka- uh, Mark. Yeah, and Kasparov. We are trying to get him, but yeah. the podcast as a as a speaker. So let's see if we let's can see. get him. The, uh, I mean, you, then you will come. Then you will come. Yeah, yeah. Max Tegmark is a good idea. Yeah. Max Tegmark is yeah. a good idea. He's, uh, I like on the Kasparov. I just like the thing that he's talking about. It's a machine and human is always beats the machine, ah, you know, augmented intelligence, but, uh, yeah. But who do you, who, who is your, you know, someone, uh, in, in the Nordics or in Sweden in Corona times? Max Hermann is one of course. Yeah, Max, of course, is already yeah. mentioned. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of great, uh, uh, people, of course. Um, I interact a little bit with, uh, you know, the guy, um, Christian Gutmann. You know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a nice guy. Yes, mm-hmm. he's uh, he's uh, he's quite. Um, we actually did one of these. Um, what do you call them now? Um, clubhouse? Do you know? Do you do you on Clubhouse? Yeah, but I don't use iPhone, so <laughs> let's yeah, do a Clubhouse, uh, Matthias. <laughs> if you don't want one with Christian, we should do a Clubhouse. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. And how did you find Clubhouse? I was invited by someone. Yeah. That's how it works. But, but but you did a session, or you were yeah, we we had one session together. You just tried it out. So is it? It, Heta- was, it was us and two others. Is it <laughs> like Hetalinian in its uh, infancy? <laughs> yeah, let's see where that goes. I don't yeah. know. Cool, Matthias, mm. fantastic. I we have so much more to talk about, and um, I I must give a personal. Uh, I don't know. You, you you're you're talking in ways and what you are experiencing is, you know, spot on in many ways, what I've seen. So I was super inspiring to listen to your and your thinking made me think in very similar. Thank you, Matthias. So thanks for being here, for having me here. Yeah. It was great talking to you guys. Cheers. Cheers.